0: Hey, it's been a while. Welcome to Howcast. So last time I talked to you, I was in quarantine in Hong Kong. I was about halfway through my 14-day quarantine. And now I'm back in quarantine. Awesome. Uh, I spent about two months in Hong Kong. The purpose of that trip uh, was really just to see my wife, who I haven't seen since uh, since the beginning of the year. Um, I also spent a lot of time catching up with friends, with uh, new acquaintances. Uh, I met some VCs and investors to prepare for the Series A that, that we're about to raise next year. i got to say, it's really something else, to be back in Hong Kong, to have boots on the ground, and to really be in the center of, you know, one of the greatest capital markets in Asia. It's a really good way to just get clued back into to the latest and greatest in, in new ideas, in investment trends, etc. Um, so I uh, I was waiting for my wife to get the visa so that she can come back to Japan with me. Originally, it was supposed to take four weeks. Ended up taking five, ended up taking six. Um, then I decided okay, I, I have to get back to work. I have to go back to Japan. So, the morning of my flight back to Japan, literally as my flight was taxiing, even before the wheels left the ground, my wife gets an email notifying her that her visa had been approved and that it was getting ready for pickup. So, You know, you can't say that the uh, Japanese don't have a great sense of humor. Uh, But yes, I'm very excited that uh, she's going to be joining me here in Japan. Um, When I was in Hong Kong, I also got to finish a couple books. Uh, One that really stood out to me was Ride of a Lifetime, which is written by Bob Iger, who is the previous CEO of uh, the Disney Company, the Walt Disney Company. Um, I've always been fascinated with Disney, I've always um, thought that it was a, just a, a tremendous uh, brand with a ton of longevity. Um, and I heard really good things about this book. Uh, after reading it, I have to say it was a really candid and honest account of his whole rise to becoming one of the most powerful and most respected CEOs in the world. Uh, Bob Iger himself came from a very uh, kind of humble middle-class family. I think his dad was an ad man uh, selling advertisements a la like the Mad Men era. Um, So after he graduated from university, he went to Ithaca College, by the way, which is cool. Uh, Ithaca, New York, represent. Uh, So after Bob Iger graduated from university, he joined ABC Sports and at the time, apparently, ABC Sports was like the cream of the crop in sports casting. It was the pinnacle and the guy that he worked for was a legend in that circle. So he started off uh, kind of working in the studio, uh, ended up helping to negotiate a bunch of broadcast deals all around the world. And uh, eventually, ABC got bought out by a smaller company called Capital Cities. And in that merged company, Capital Cities ABC, um, Bob Iger eventually rose to become COO. So he really had the trust of the, um, the founders. Uh, so after a while, Capital Cities ABC got bought out by Disney. And uh, Iger then became really part of the inner circle of the top management. Uh, Disney at the time was run by another pretty legendary CEO named Michael Eisner. Um, you know, soon after he joined um, Disney was on this like downward slide there was a string of bad movies if you remember like Lilo and Stitch, Hercules um, Hunchback of Notre Dame these movies never caught on the same way that Aladdin and Lion King did before them and for a variety of other reasons um, the Disney board decided to, to get rid of Michael Eisner and the only internal candidate that they were considering was Bob Iger uh, so he had to work really really hard to basically convince the board that, that he was up to the task even though he uh, had worked with Michael Eisner so technically they could blame a lot of the um, a lot of the, the missteps on, on him as well, they could pin that on him uh, but eventually he did end up um, convincing the, the board and he became the new CEO of Walt Disney Company now there's a passage in the book which really talks about his mindset during this whole selection process the the anxiety and the, the disquietude of, of what he had to go through uh, so I'm just going to read this passage here He says, the succession process was the first time in my career that I had to face that level of anxiety head on. It was impossible to completely filter out the chatter about me or to not be hurt by the very public conversations about how ill suited I was for the job. But I learned through strong self-discipline and love for my family that I had to recognize it for what it was that it had no bearing on who I was. I could control what I did and how I comported myself. Everything else was beyond my control. I didn't maintain that perspective every moment, but to the extent that I was able to, it kept that anxiety from having too strong a hold. And I dog-eared that page because, uh, you know, it's it's something that, that I've dealt with in the past. It's something that, My colleagues my bosses have dealt with too Um, and it's always a good reminder that whatever you're doing whatever your title whatever your role is it doesn't define all parts of you we're all multi-dimensional beings Um, we cannot let especially cannot let things that are out of our control affect our sense of self-worth so I thought that was a really important lesson anyway so he became CEO and he pitched these three strategic moves that he wanted to accomplish. Number one was to create great content, high quality content, uh, basically reverse um, the path that they were on and again become known for great movies, great animations, great shows, etc. Number two was to adapt to new technologies. So uh, there are several scenes in the book where, you know, he has these eureka moments about how the world around him was changing so fast, how they really needed to catch up. So one of the many, many acquisitions that he made was um, he absorbed this tech platform, streaming platform into ESPN uh, that really helped him to launch ESPN's online presence. And, And this kind of set the tone eventually for Disney Plus as well. So, the third strategic move was to think bigger and to go global and to turn Disney into a, a strong international brand. Um, you know, part of that obviously was with Hong Kong Disneyland and Shanghai Disneyland, which apparently took close to 20 years to open. He had that idea first in like 1998. He talks about going to um, Pudong in Shanghai. In 1998 where everything was still farmland and basically trying to secure the site and from that point on it was just back-and-forth negotiations and finally they opened the park in 2016 so they made a ton of acquisitions and I think the three major ones that really changed the course of Disney and really set the tone for the company um, were Pixar, Lucasfilms, or Lucas or LucasArt Art, and and Marvel. Okay, now Pixar. This is really interesting because when Bob Iger joined Disney, the relationship between the CEO at the time and Steve Jobs, who was the head of Pixar, uh, was very fraught, to say the least. They basically hated each other. Um, they were both kind of still still reeling from a a um, Movie partnership that they thought were were kind of unfair and and unequal. Um, at the time, basically, Toy Story, uh, I think Cars and some other movies were produced by Pixar, but then Disney had the rights to the sequels. Anyways, it's it, it's a whole thing. Uh, but anyways, the point is they hated each other. There was no trust, and they were about to pull the plug. Uh, so when Bob Iger became CEO, one of his first steps was to just repair the relationship. And the first thing that, that he did, the first major um, uh, kind of uh, olive branch that he extended was to offer up Disney content for iTunes. Uh, when, when Steve Jobs was um, launching iTunes and, and the iPod with video, And then they really got to know each other. They eventually became really, really good friends. Uh, There's a scene from a book where he gets the idea that he thinks Disney and Pixar should merge. And he turns the idea over in his head over and over again until one day he decides, okay, I'm gonna pitch this to Steve Jobs. And uh, basically he was was, uh, driving and he gets a call back from Steve Jobs and he was like, Steve, I have a crazy idea, but now is not the best time to, to talk about it because I'm driving. And Steve Jobs was like, no, you have to tell me now. So he pulls over and he pitches him the idea. And Steve Jobs says, well, that's not the craziest idea. So that's kind of how that ball started to get rolling. And through that merger with Pixar, they not only acquired some incredible uh, intellectual property, they've also acquired just a world class team of of animators Uh, many of these animators actually came from Disney so many decades ago when um, when Disney was dominating it was traditional animation it was pen to paper and there was a a subset of animators at Disney who thought that computer animation was really the next um, the next big shift and they weren't able to completely adapted because Disney wouldn't allow them so they just left and they started Pixar anyway so so that merger was huge uh, six seven billion dollars then they did Marvel the Marvel merger and then they did uh, LucasArts now the Marvel merger is really the one that I get the most excited talking about it was a four billion dollar deal and just by the box office of like a few of the avenger movies combined the merger probably has paid itself off um, a long time ago and it will probably go down in history as just one of the best M&A's ever Uh, so really mad respect uh, that they were able to pull this off the marvel universe obviously just Thousands of characters, um, many of many of the lesser known ones are just recently coming to light. Um, there's just these endless permutations of stories and plot arcs in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, when I was in, well, while I'm in quarantine, in the last few days, I caught up on this um, animated show on Disney Plus called What If? And this show, I think, is is genius. I mean, it's an animated series. It's voiced by most of the actors in the superhero movies. The thing is, they basically take um, the story arcs that we know, but they twist it to cause some kind of alternative ending. So, for example... Um, you know, what if uh, when Iron Man was in Afghanistan at the beginning of the Iron Man movie, he wasn't abducted by the Ten Rings and he was saved by, uh, what's his name, Killmonger, who is the, uh, the bad guy in the Black Panther movies. How that sets off into an a alterna- alternative universe or what if uh, there was a a bug that caused the Avengers to turn into zombies, or or what if um, what if Ultron won in the end, and all of this uh, this whole series nine episodes is kind of narrated by the Watcher, who is this mythical being somewhere in the universe, just watching all of these different timelines. Uh, happen and and making a point of not interfering anyways so they were able to spin this off based on the original plot lines from the movies Uh, to me that's that's just brilliant i mean it's just an example of how how rich the whole marvel universe of content really is it's it's really impressive so that's that (laughs) That's, that's what I've been up to uh, for the past few months. Um, really happy to be back in Tokyo. We've got some new team members joining our new community manager. We've got our uh, full-time engineer. We've got some new leaders in the operations team joining as well. Um, I'm very grateful to, to the team and to the co-founders for holding down the fort while I was gone. Um, really got a taste of what remote work feels like I mean just having to see my peoples on screen the whole time it's not ideal I don't I don't love it I'd much rather spend time with everyone in person Uh, so glad to be back I just uh, got another four more days of quarantine uh, before I can uh, I can be out and about so anyways that's all for me quick update hope you guys are doing well take it easy